You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Welcome and uh, good morning. My name is Fisher, like Tom said earlier, and I'm the middle school pastor here, um, but I get the privilege of speaking to you uh, this morning. And I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. I love that song forever. Um, and it is by, it is only because the lamb has overcome that I am standing on the stage today. And uh, but I, see, I'm already getting emotional. Look at that. But I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm excited to preach. I'm excited for the word that we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we dive into anything, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every single person in this room. Father, they're not in here by happenstance. God, they're in here because um, it was your plan and you ordained them to be here. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the passion that uh, you have for them, the love that you have for them. I pray as they're sitting in this room this morning that not only they're worshiping you, but they're about to hear your word be preached. Father, may they dis and forget anything that I say, any opinion of mine, but only hear your truth and your word. Father, I pray for... Um, ears to be open to the gospel. I pray that we hear the gospel and that we respond to the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So tonight, I did that this morning, or the first service too. I always speak at night, but um, we're in the morning. This morning, we're gonna be looking at a text, but before we get to that text, I wanna ask you guys a question. My question is this, have you ever received a gift that you didn't deserve? Now, this can be a gift from a family member or a spouse or a friend, but it's one of those gifts that's either so amazing, so over the top, so expensive that you go, I don't deserve this. I don't know why you would think you should do this for me. I got it. Like, we have to return this gift or whatever it is. It's just ridiculously amazing. You don't deserve it. Or it's one of those gifts that you receive from someone after a, after a time after you've treated them pretty badly. Maybe it's your spouse and you've been howling on your spouse and your spouse just acts or treats you a certain way or whatever it may be. But it's those gifts that you go, I don't know why you're giving me this. I just treated you this way. And now you're giving me this or you're acting this way towards me. This isn't making sense. When I was thinking about this question, my 18th birthday came to mind. And on my 18th birthday, I got a brand new truck. And this truck is a truck I've been begging my dad for for years. It was his. And this is a truck that I remember him having my whole childhood. And it was the truck my whole childhood, even until I got to 16, I wanted. I wanted it so bad. It was just so cool. My dad drove it. It looked good. It was just awesome, okay? And I've been begging him for years to get it. I didn't get it when I was 16. But on my 18th birthday, he gave me the keys to his truck. But it wasn't just his truck. He took the truck, put new wheels, put new tires on it. It was looking amazing. And he gave it to me. And this is a gift that I didn't deserve. It was so amazing, so over the top, so expensive that I didn't deserve it. But it was also a gift that I didn't deserve because of something that had happened six months prior. Six months prior to my birthday was February 9th. February 9th of 2018, I... If you know my testimony, you already know this, but I made a mistake. Before school one day, I participated in taking some drugs. And because of that, I had a medical accident or a medical emergency while at school, which resulted in me being sent to the hospital by ambulance, which also resulted in me getting expelled from my high school. 
and having to go and be sent to an opportunity school. And then on that day, my life was shattered. I mean, my whole dream of playing football in college, my whole dream of just getting in college, my dream of completing high school and being the popular kid, completing high school and being the uh, football player everybody wanted to be like, all of this thrown in the gutter, shattered, gone. My life also shattered my parents' life. This kid that they thought was always at church and was always doing good and his life was always, um, he was always acting the right way and always doing the right things came crumbling down. Their first son, their favorite son, I would say, has not only ruined his life, it seems like, but has ruined theirs. But six months later, they're handing me the keys of my dream truck, no questions asked. And still to this day, when I think back on my 18th birthday, it puzzles me. I don't understand why they did it. I don't understand, I didn't deserve it. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. And the reality is all of us in the room can think of a gift like that. It may not be to the degree of a brand new truck, but it may be something smaller, maybe just an act that your spouse did after you had just pounded them in harsh words. But we all can relate to or getting a gift that we don't deserve. And we can remember that puzzling feeling and you probably think about it today and you go, man, I don't understand why they did that. I didn't deserve it. And today we're going to be looking at a text. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians chapter 2. And in this text, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And in the, he's writing to the church about a gift that blows every single gift that you just thought of out of the water. It blows my 18th birthday gift out of the water. And it leaves us puzzled, wondering, why would God do that for all of eternity? And this gift that I'm talking about is salvation. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he wants to explain this gift of salvation that God has given them and the fact that they didn't deserve it, yet God still gave it to them. And and Paul begins by talking about their life prior to salvation. Paul wants them to know, listen, you did not deserve it. Here's why. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses in the... You're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul does not sugarcoat it whatsoever. He gets straight to the point. First sentence, and you were dead in what? In your trespasses and sin. Paul says, guys, you were dead. What I love about this and what's so interesting is Paul mentions two groups of people here. At the beginning, you see the you, and you were dead. Paul's writing to the Gentiles in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and they happen to be Gentiles. But later down here, we see among whom we, Paul talking about himself and the group that he's a part of which is the Jews. And he says, listen, the Gentiles, you and we, the Jews, we're all together in this room, one group and we're dead. And if that doesn't make sense or why that's such a drastic thing, it's two sides of the spectrum. And to make it make sense, to put it in context, the Gentiles in our context are the unchurched people. 
the people who didn't grow up going to church, the people who don't believe what the Bible says, the people who don't look like Jesus, the people who don't treat us like Jesus calls us to treat us, the people who don't care about Christianity whatsoever, if I, at best, the Gentiles are priesters, you know, the Christmas and Easter Christians who show up, you know, that's, at, that's like the top tier Gentiles, the unchurched. That's who the Gentiles are. And then the Jews who Paul was a part of are the church. There's, they're the people who's never missed a church service never missed an event. They're folding up the tables, putting up the chair on the, their chairs on the rack. They have half the Bible memorized. Every time you talk to them, they start quoting scripture at you and making you feel bad. It's the pastor who's been pastoring for 30 years. It's the churchiest church people you can think, think of. And Paul says, listen, you have the unchurched, the worst person in the world, the drug addict, the homeless, the murderer, and you have the perfect you look at their life, Christian, and you go, how could they have ever done anything wrong? And he puts them both in one group and he says, you were dead. You were dead. How can Paul say that? I can understand for the drug addict and homeless man, but what about the guy who's never missed a church service? The man who's been pastoring for 30 years and he seems like he has the perfect life. How can he say they were both dead? And this reality of before salvation, we were spiritually dead. Before salvation, before you were saved by Christ, if you're saved by Christ, you were spiritually dead. Spiritually. Our physical bodies were not. Our physical bodies were pretty busy. And they were busy doing one single thing, and that is sinning. They were busy, as Paul says, following the ways of the world. Following what the crowd said is popular, what the crowd said is fun. Being part of the boys, being part of the girls, doing whatever you want to do. Following the flesh, what makes you happy, what builds your pride up, what gets you put in the spotlight. Following the sin, it was, your body was just, physical body was busy, busy sinning. Yet the whole time, you were dead. You might have felt good for a little bit. You might have numbed the pain for a little bit. But the whole time, you were spiritually dead, is what Paul is saying. But... The next two words Paul says may be the greatest two words in the whole Bible. Paul's talking about our deadness, our deep, disgusting, nasty sin that all of us had and all of us were dead in. And then he says this, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you were dead. You were dead, but God, but God made you alive in Christ. You were a sinner and you deserve death, but you were made and alive by Christ. You were given this thing called grace. He summarizes it right here. Oh, can we go back, Hannah? He summarizes it right here and says, by grace, you have been saved. It's Paul's whole point. He doesn't say, by your works, you have been saved. Because you got it right, you have been saved. Because you're a good person, you have been saved. No, he says, by grace. 
you have been saved. If you don't know what grace is, grace is this, when God gives us what we don't deserve. It's when we deserve death, when we deserved our payment of our sin. And when we think about grace, grace is when we go, man, I was dead, but now I'm alive. God made me alive. Grace is when we go, yet while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Yet while I still didn't love God, while I still didn't care about Jesus, while I still didn't wanna live the way Jesus called me to live, while I still didn't like Jesus whatsoever, while I still didn't care about anything Christian-esque, Christ died for me. That is grace. That is a gift of God that we did not deserve. It's Christ dying our death so we didn't have to die in our sin. We know the price of death is sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death, or in other words, for the price of sin is death. And Paul is making it clear. He says, listen, you were dead in sin. And your price for that was your physical body also dying in your sin and then spending eternity in hell. But then he tells us, but God, but God, this was your reality, but God. And when we hear that, when we look back on our life, when we look back on our salvation moment, we go, I don't understand God. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I was dead. I didn't like you. I didn't care for you. I didn't love you. I didn't want you. Yet you died for me. Yet you saved me. Yet you made me alive. And it puzzles us. It goes, makes us go, but why? Why would you do that? Paul tells us why. Verse seven, he says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God goes, you want to know why? Grace. I want my grace to be displayed everywhere. And my grace is going to be displayed immeasurably, without measure in your life. You're going to experience it personally. You're going to experience the grace, the salvation personally, but you're also going to experience it publicly. The goal of this new life that we have in Christ is to experience and to exalt his grace. Paul is saying, listen, you were dead, but God, why did he save you? So that his grace can be on display immeasurably, without measure. You can experience your grace, this grace personally, but also it's gotta be public. We don't live our life just hiding the things that we're proud of, right? Going back to my 18th birthday, I didn't like get that brand new truck and I was so happy and then all I did was pull it into the garage and then never drive it again. No, that would have been dumb of me. I wanted everyone to see it. And this is the same with our gift of salvation. We want everyone to see our salvation. We want to experience it. I want to enjoy my car. I want to enjoy my truck. I want to drive it where I want to go and I want to listen to the music I want to listen to and be like, man, this is my truck. At the same time, I want everyone to see it. It's the same way with our salvation. We experience God's grace and we experience our, a personal relationship with him, but it doesn't stay in the closet. Everyone needs to see it. And we want everyone to see it. I love that, what Paul says in text about this. If this is true, I'll go back in, please. 
if this is true, that we experience it personally, but we also are called to exalt it, to show it publicly, how well are we doing that? And if I was gonna take a poll on my own life, probably not too well. We love the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus. We love that I know Jesus, Jesus loves me, he knows me, we spend time together, I turn up the worship music in the car, I have my morning devotion every morning, but when it comes to being public, sharing my faith, standing for the truth of God's word, is it the reality of our lives? Paul knows it's not usually the case. In the next uh, verses, he says, for by, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul wants the people in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus, to realize, listen, this salvation, your salvation is a gift, not a gift you earn. You did nothing, no works, not a result of works, not of your own doing. Why? So that no one may boast. We have no opportunity to boast in our salvation because we didn't do anything to deserve it. But how often do we boast? How often do we boast in ourselves? I would have to say pretty often. And as I was preparing for this message and um, reading this passage, I, was, I couldn't help but think about um, when the healing hearts women um, were here and we got to experience that and if you don't know who the Healing Hearts people are, I'm gonna tell you while I grab these signs down here. But the Healing Hearts is an organization that helps women who are in a bad place in life. These women are maybe drug addicts, maybe homeless, maybe a single parent who's drowning from debt or life in general. Um, it's women who are in a bad, bad place. And the whole purpose of Healing Hearts is to share the gospel with them and help them get their life turned around put them in a job, put them in a place, get them in a home, whatever it may be. And one Sunday morning, if you were here, you'll remember this for sure. But the Healing Hearts women, there's probably about 20 women over here. And during one of the songs, one by one, they came up on stage. They would come up on stage and they would stand right here in the middle where the podium is and they would hold a sign. And, they would, and it would say something like, I was homeless and a drug addict. And they'd hold it up for a second and then they'd flip it around and it would say, but I was washed by the blood of Jesus. And then another one would come up and say, I was a drug addict or I was a single mom or I was following the ways of the world and then it'd flip it over, but Christ died for me, but I'm saved by Jesus. And man, if you were in the room, I'm getting God bumps right now thinking about it. It was one of those moments where you go, man, you start getting emotional, you wanna shout, you wanna praise, you wanna, man, you're just like overwhelmed by the goodness of God. And you go, that's a but God moment. That person was dead, but now they're alive. And you get excited. You get just giddy at the goodness of God and the salvation of God in someone's life. But the reality is most of us live a life walking around holding a sign and it says, I was, and you can fill in the blank. I was a single parent. I was a homeless person. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was the person in debt. I was the person that who was a, the high school dropout. I was lost. I was confused. And you walk around holding this sign, you start telling everybody, man, I was this, I was that. I was in a really bad place. I was down, 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 bad. And then when you turn over the sign, it says, but I. 
but I pulled myself up by the bootstraps, but I made a way, but I figured out my life. But I turned my life around and we boast in ourselves and we go, I get the credit because I did it. I stopped doing the drugs. I stopped going to the bar. I stopped having an affair. I stopped whatever it may be. I did it. I'm the one. I get the credit. And we hold it up high and we go, look at me, look at me, look at me. I changed my life. I turned it around. I figured it out. I'm here to tell you this morning, this is not the reality for Christians. We do not hold a sign that says, but I. It was anything but us. We do not hold up a sign. This is not our truth. This is not our story. Our story is holding up a sign that says, I was dead. I was sinful. I was broken. I hated God. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I was the greatest sinner who ever walked the earth. I was lost. I was confused. But ultimately, ultimately, I was dead. I was dead. When we turn that sign around, it doesn't say, but I. It says, but God. But God made me alive. But God saved me. But God, while yet I was still a sinner, he died for me. And we don't hold it down like this and we don't put it between our legs like a scared dog, but we hold it up high and we go, look at what God did. Look at my life. I didn't do anything. God saved me. And we proudly and boldly share with the world the goodness of God's grace. We don't cower behind what God's done in our life. We boldly proclaim his goodness. And we say, but God, but God, but God. It wasn't me, it was God. And when you do this, I can promise you, when you boldly proclaim God's grace, the world is going to be confused. And they're not going to understand, and they're going to start asking you questions. It's just like the day after I got my new truck and I drove to school, that first day of school. I got a lot of Dude, sick truck. That's so cool. Like, I love it. Whatever. But I also got a lot of, a lot more of, man, why would your dad give you that after what you did? Hey, I just can't understand why your dad would do that. And the world's going to ask you the same questions. You're going to get a lot of, man, I'm so glad you turned your life around. I love seeing this change in your life. You look like you're doing so healthy and so good. I promise you, there's going to be a lot more questions saying, why would God save you after all you've done? And when you tell them the same thing, I told my friends at school, because he loves me. Nothing else. It's because God, the creator of the universe, the creator of me, who knows all things, who's over all things, loved me. A sinner, a dead man, a man who didn't care about him, a man that was living his whole life against him, loved me so much that he would send his only son, Jesus, to die for me. The only thing I brought to the table was this sin. 
and the world's not gonna understand. And as you proclaim it and you say, because he loves me, you tell him he loves you too. It's not just me. You let them know you're dead too. Sounds harsh, but it's true. You're dead. I don't care if you've been at church your whole life. I don't care if you've never missed an event. I don't care if you've sang or talked on stage. If you don't know Christ as your personal savior, you're dead. You can be the worst alcoholic, the worst murderer, the person in prison that nobody wants to get 10 feet close to, or you could be the perfect Christian on the outside. If you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, you're dead. But the good, good, good news is that he loves you. He loves you to the point that he would send his own son to live the perfect life, to die your death that you deserve for your sin. Why? So that you can be made alive. So that you can have life in Christ. So that you can be on display for all of his grace saying, I've experienced it personally and here it is. Here's the goodness of God in my life. So, do you live boldly proclaiming, but God? Or do you hold up the sign, hey, but me, but I, I did it, I, I turned it around. Or do you stand boldly knowing Christ died for me? Not because I did anything right, but because I did everything wrong. And you proclaim the goodness of God, the grace of God, the gift of salvation that we did not earn. I beg you, please, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't had the but God moment, if you're living a life, I don't care how perfect a Christian you look like or how bad you feel like your life is gone. If you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, he wants to be it. He died for you to get you out of your deadness and to make you alive, to save you from that death you deserve. Today can be the day. Today can be your but God moment. And if you've already had it, I encourage you, I plead with you, do not leave this room holding up above a butt eye sign. Please don't leave this room holding your butt God sign behind your back. Proclaim it, proclaim it, proclaim it because the goodness of God is immeasurable in your life and the world needs to know. I beg you, do it. And when the world asks why, how could you? How could God do it? You say, because he loves me and he loves you too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today again. I thank you again for these men and women who are in the room. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak. You're so good. We're so bad. I pray for all the men and women in the room who personally know you, your son as their Lord and Savior, that they're convicted of how many times they hold up the but I sign today, but they're encouraged and they're boldly and ready and prepared to hold up the but God sign and proclaim your grace and your goodness to the world. Father, I pray for those in the room who do not know your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's this very moment, this very, in this, in this very next song, they will have that blood God moment. 
You open their eyes to their deadness and sin and you call them out of it. You tell them, I love you. I died for you. You can have life today and forever. God, I thank you for that. And I pray for all that you're gonna do and I thank you for all you've already done. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. 